invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians this morning. 1 Thessalonians. Has it been an easy week? No? I'll have you stand here in just a moment for the reading. Yeah, sorry. For those who are in the world, for those of us who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our weeks are not always going to be easy because we are not promised a good time. Our time is to come. And for those of us who live in this world, while it's important that we are to recognize that we are in the world because God has chosen to leave us here, we are not to be of the world. The banners that we have around us today is, for some of you, you may be aware of this, today is Reformation Sunday. And Reformation Sunday is celebrated in different ways in different churches. I have recommended this to several of you, and, and if you, um, like me, struggle sometimes with uh, maybe electronics or multimedia formats, things like that, I would like to recommend, though, that you find either Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, those are not endorsements for any of those services or companies. Uh, but for the purpose of being able to listen to a series of podcasts that are entitled Men Who Rock the World, this series has been a great encouragement to myself, my wife, several of you have already told me that you've begun listening to this. And these are men who are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the men that we were listening to, Jonathan Edwards, or listening uh, to uh, about Jonathan Edwards, this is actually a series by Dr. Stephen Lawson of One Passion Ministries. And Dr. Lawson was sharing some of the things. He shares a little bit of a biography about each one of the individuals that he talks with or that he talks about. And Jonathan Edwards, when he was about 17 years old, came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the time he was 18, he was actually, it was right before his 18th birthday, he was actually the interim pastor of his first church. And just about a year after coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it was when he was, what, 23 that he wrote his resolved, or was that at 18? Yeah, I think it was at, at age 18, he wrote a series of 70. It took him two years to be able to compile a list of the things that he was resolved to do. If you would ever like to read them, um, I've actually got them hanging on my wall in my office in a big picture frame. You can find them online as well. But it's one of those things that I encourage you to read because one of the things about Jonathan Edwards is he said, I am resolved never to do anything that I would be ashamed of should the Lord take me to be with him today. What a testimony. 
He said, I am resolved that in all things, no matter what it is, I will give God the glory. It would be another five or six years before he was actually to find his future wife. And even in that, he said that everything about this young lady had to match up with the resolves that he had in his life that he was resolved to give honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am resolved to look forward into eternity with whoever it is that God has given to me. This was the kind of man Jonathan Edwards was. And he started out early, and it reminds me of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we find that Daniel purposes in his heart that he is not going to defile himself with the king's meat. He decides that he is not going to defile himself in any way, and he makes a decision that he is going to live for Jesus Christ. He is going to live for God in such a way that he is not ashamed at his coming. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, would we be ashamed if the Lord Jesus Christ were to return with anything that we are doing in our lives today? Now, this doesn't mean that we're perfect because nobody is perfect in this life. The only person who was ever perfect was the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think it's important that as we focus on eternity, the more that we keep the cross in view and the more that we keep the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in view, knowing one day that he is going to return for us and we will either be caught up together with him, as 1 Thessalonians verse chapter 4 says, we will be caught up together with him in the clouds or one day we are going to have our bones laid in the ground and one day the Lord is going to return. And the same God that put you together in the first place is going to be able to put you together with a brand new body. But when we come to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians reminds me of a church that's not just in trouble, but a church that is really struggling probably in personal aspects of their lives. And this morning, I really want to be an encouragement to you as we look at a few of these passages together. So if you would please Stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and we are going to begin reading in chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we are going to begin reading at verse 2 through the end of the chapter. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in, what does it say? Much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven 
whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And therein we have the summary of the gospel message. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your attendance to the word this morning. You may be seated. I want to give you just a little brief overview of what has transpired and why this book, even this little book has to even be written. Paul is not in prison at this point, but he has gone to the city of Thessalonica. It would have been about 45 miles from the city of Berea. We find about this account in the book of Acts, and he goes to Berea, and of course, if you remember, who were the Berean Christians? What was it that made them special? Because they did what? Study the scriptures, how often? Daily, to see whether the things that were being told to them were true. If you want to know the quickest way to get yourself in trouble in church, it's this. You ready for this? You can write down, frame it, do whatever you want to with it. Just assume that the person behind the pulpit is speaking truth without verifying for yourself from the word of God that it is true. There are a lot of churches that have folded. There are a lot of churches that are, have actually grown and they're mega monstrosities and yet they have absolutely nothing to do with God. Just because somebody, a church is growing numerically or financially, or they've got great big buildings or flashy buildings, that, that does not give an indication that that church is being blessed by God. There are a lot of organizations that have millions of members all around the world, but that doesn't guarantee that that person or that organization or that group has anything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. And Thessalonica, for some reason, there was a group of, of, of people, I, I don't want to say that they were not believers, because we don't know for sure. But there was a group of people who had come and they had infiltrated this group, this small group of believers in Thessalonica. And here's the whole, really the whole theme of the book is a reference to the day of the Lord. You see, the church in Thessalonica was sad because they believed that the rapture, the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ had come, and they had all been left behind. They, had, they, they were all struggling in this church. They were struggling through a time of persecution, and yet, <coughs> excuse me, and yet these individuals are struggling from day to day. Why bother? Why trust the word of God if we're just going to be left here anyway. Now, there are a lot of things that we can use and we could say about this particular aspect, but there's only one really that I want to point out to you this morning. Regardless of when the return of the Lord actually is going to happen or it's going to come, one thing we know for sure is from the book of Acts, we read just this same Jesus is going to return just as he left. Literally, bodily, just as he arose from the grave. This same Jesus is going to return. And so Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and he says, listen, I want you to be encouraged above all things because the Lord Jesus Christ has not yet returned. 
And when he does return, he is going to take you to be with him as well if you're a true believer. Now, there are a lot of people that think and they assume that everybody is a child of God. And that's not true. The Bible is very clear that you are not a child of God unless you have been brought by the Holy Spirit of God to the point where you repent, you confess your sins, and you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's it. It has nothing to do with the name on the sign. It has nothing to do with what your background is. It has nothing to do with creeds or confessions. It is simply the gospel, and the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. I can't save you. My dad can't save you. Brother Jeff can't save you. When he's up here teaching, one of the things that I appreciate about Dr. Steve Lawson, and I heard it even this morning in, in, in the, the, the Sunday school lesson, is this. We give forth the gospel message, and it is very simple. The gates of paradise have swung open wide, and God simply says to you, come, today is the accepted day of salvation. If you don't get or hear anything else, that is the message of the gospel. And it is a glorious message. It is a glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that God himself would come, and he would come down to this earth, Galatians 4.4, 4, and in the fullness of time, he would make it possible for mankind to be able to come to him. You see, it was not possible previously. This is what Paul is talking about to the church at Thessalonica. He says again, look with me. First of all, we give thanks to God. How often for you? Always. Always for you, you were in my prayers. Paul is constantly taking time to be able to pray for his fellow workers. He's taken time to pray for these churches that he has had the privilege of being able to establish. And I believe that there were actually multiple other churches that the Apostle Paul was able to establish over the course of three missionary journeys. But he says, I am constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Why? Verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We could spend an entire message just on those three. We could spend an entire message on each one of them individually. Faith, love, and hope. Do you remember where these three appear together? In another well-known chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians, for example. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And now abideth faith, love, and charity, or agape love. And the greatest of these is love. Paul has just spent all of chapter 13 in the book of 1 Corinthians telling this, this church that has allowed sin to be able to creep in, and he is telling them, if I could do all of these things, even if I could give my body to be burned, if I do it without love, it profits me nothing, a goose egg. But here he says, your work of faith. Now, as with anything, it takes work to be able to get anything accomplished, right? I mean, uh, brother, uh, brother Ryan, I'm sure he's, he does electric, electrical work, right? Um, so he, if he were to go and, and somebody calls him up and they say, well, could you come and take a look at our house or our business? And so he goes and he opens it up and there's fried wires all over the place and 
you know, there's a couple of guys that are standing over in the corner and they've got nice curly hair because they got zapped. And he looks, he says, yeah, it looks like you got a problem. Well, that'll be $250. You think that's going to solve the problem? What, what does he have to do? He's going to have to do some work. He's going to have to fix it. And as he fixes it, to be able to do this work that is required of him, and just as it is with us in the gospel message, it requires work because there are times that you and I are going to be called to share the gospel with somebody. It could be with friends, with family, with a neighbor, with a colleague, with whoever it may be. And it's going to be work just to open up our mouths and say, by the way, have you heard of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? What a wonderful testimony to be able to have something like that. Uh, one of the things that, that I have been encouraging some of our men, and I want to encourage all of you to be able to do this. Uh, when we were in a church years ago, back in the mid-90s, and when we, from the time that we got out of our car, and this was our first visit to the church, by the time we got from our car, we walked through the parking lot, into this pretty good-sized building. They probably run about 250, 300 people. And we got into the room or into the auditorium where they celebrate the Lord's table. Between our car and that room, in the space of about 10 minutes, we were asked by three, three different individuals, how's your walk with the Lord today? How would you feel if, if, if Brother Gabe, it, it, I mean, now Brother Gabe's pretty kind of an imposing kind of guy anyway, but he's standing at the front door and he's greeting people and somebody walks in as a visitor for the first time and he says, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your savior? I mean, isn't that the work that we're supposed to be doing that we are called to? The Great Commission has been given five times to us just in the four books of the Gospels, as well as the book of Acts. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and to be able to know, especially if we're having a service where we are celebrating the Lord's table, why would we not want to ask them where they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ? Your labor of love. The labor of love here that is a reference to the work that they are doing amongst one another. To be able to have a labor of love, there are things sometimes that maybe you and I do around the house, whether it's washing clothes, washing dishes. Uh, now, I'll be honest, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning or you go to get married and you stand at the marriage altar and you say, I am so excited I get to wash your dirty socks. Well, maybe you're different, okay? I didn't do that. I'm so excited because for the next, if we're married 60 years times 365 days, I get to wash dishes that many times. Nobody does that. But you know what we do? Because we love somebody and we continue to fall in love with them, we do the things that are necessary. It is a labor of love to be able to make those things work within our home. Every new person we got several young people here. Every time you add a young person into the equation, exponentially the problems get bigger because now you've got to learn to love a bunch more people. It's not just one. When it's just you, you there's only two relationships that you have to worry about. You to God, God to you. And then you get married. 
And now it's you to God and my wife to God and God to her and God to me and then the relationship here. So now with just adding marriage, you now have six different aspects of a relationship that we have to work on. And now we add a third, we add a child into the mix. And after a while, what's going to end up happening, just like it was in the church of Thessalonica, it's going to be a labor love, love, and we're either going to work together for the harmony of the gospel or everything is going to be splintered. You know, we're, we're not exempt, church, from these problems and the struggles that we find within the world. We can go through the same exact things that the people in your workplaces do. But to have a labor of love, to know and to care for one another, to be able to do that requires that we love one another with an agape love that only can come from Jesus Christ. Because you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. And if we think that we can do it on our own, we are only fooling ourselves because everybody else can, around us can see that we can't make it on our own because we are struggling greatly. He says, thirdly, we want to get on because there are several things that I want to point out to you this morning. Steadfastness of hope. Some of you are old enough to remember where you were. I believe it was January the 27th, 1st. No, no, in 1986, Challenger. In England, they have, uh, and Dad has mentioned this before, but newspapers have a special font. They call it a death font, a world tragedy event. And I remember the newspapers that came out the very next day, and across them, one of the, one of the newspapers we have there is the Daily Mail, and it said... No hope with the Challenger blowing up in full color. Now, there's a little sign. Most of you have never seen this. But there's a little sign that somebody gave me, and I keep it up here on the pulpit. And it says, read, pray, sing, preach the word. And I just have it right here as a reminder. That's the only hope that I can give you because I can't give you a hope in a world that is falling apart. I can't give you hope if it's based on your the finances or the balances that you have in your checkbook or that you don't have or because of the status of your car, or the status of your job or whatever it may be that you've got going on in your life. There is no hope in those things. One day you and I will get older. One of these days we will find ourselves being retired or finding ourselves struggling in whatever particular area of life it is. The only hope that you and I have is that there is something better than this life. There is a life to come. It is eternity. Ecclesiastes tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. When we stand before God, he tells us in Romans chapter 1 that there will be nobody that will be able to stand that will be able to have an excuse because even creation itself screams aloud of God. Creation itself tells us that there is somebody who put all of the components together, put you together, and keeps you here day by day. 
Why are we here and not in some other country in the world? Why is it that God has allowed us to have relative peace here on this little landmass, separated from all of the countries around the world? And God has graciously allowed us to be here, and he keeps us safe day by day by day when there are so many countries around the world that have been destroyed for the last 100 years in multiple wars. The hope that we have cannot be in what we have in this life. Now, I don't think anybody here is old enough, but I'm sure you've read the history books. Do you remember what occurred in 1929? I'm sorry? Great Depression. Do you know what the problem was for those who were bankers? Do you know, and this may be a surprise to you, and Brother Tim, he, he's, he's already, he's got his ears perked up because he loves history like I do. Do you know the problem is that those people actually didn't lose that money? But there were multiple people. There were people that would go up, they'd go to work, they'd climb into the top of their building and they'd jump off. Dozens, sometimes every single day because they had no more hope. They thought that they had lost everything. The only people that had actually lost hope were those who sold pennies on the dollar because those who actually kept their money just two or three short years later were actually richer than they were before. But you know what they had focused on? The present. They weren't looking to the future. And you can have everything you want in life. You can have money. You can have finances. You can have fame. You can have fortune. You can have education. You can have everything that the world has to offer to you. And when you die, you're going to die just like John Rockefeller without a penny to your name. You're going to find yourself, Dad was sharing a picture with us yesterday, Sam Walton's daughter who has this great big massive yacht. Multi-million dollars, cost $330 million. You know, when she dies, she's not taking the yacht with her. It was no different than when we were in Liberia. We would tell the people, they would always ask us, well, what did you bring us? What are you going to give us? How are you going to be able to help us? I said, the best way that I can help you is to be able to give you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you can die with an empty stomach but if you know Jesus Christ, you have blessings beyond compare. Everything that the world has, it's just mere baubles. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ tells us in the book of Matthew. And he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up treasures in heaven. This is what Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica. He's reminding them of these messages that have been read, these things that have been given from Jesus Christ to the apostles to be able to teach others, to disciple them, to mature them, so that as he then tells the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, why are these things being done? So that we can come together for the glorification of Christ so that we can come together for the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And what is our hope in? End of verse 3. Our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other message to give. 
I, I remember some of you may have heard when John, when John MacArthur, he finally printed, fin finished preaching through the entire New Testament. And, and the congregation there stood and gave, gave applause and gave thanks to God for him being able to finish through the passage. What did he do the very next Sunday? He started in another book again. Because the message doesn't change. The message that I'm proclaiming today is the same message that Martin Luther proclaimed. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not of your works, lest any man should boast. This was the problem that was being found in the, the day and time in which they lived in the early 1500s. And there was a man by the name of Tetzel who was coming around to villages and he would say things like, well, if you will put a penny in the coffer, then it will spring a soul from purgatory. He couldn't tell you who was being sprung. And all they were trying to do was raise money. Anybody here seen the movie Luther? Okay. It is a great movie. I would highly recommend you can find it on YouTube. It's absolutely free to be able to watch. I don't agree with every single thing that is in there. But one of the things that Tetzel even stated, it got to the point that Martin Luther's preaching was having such an impact on the people that they began resorting to all kinds of crazy things and telling the people so that they could get more money. Tetzel even is recorded as saying that even if you were to violate the mother of Jesus herself, that if you were to give a penny in the offering, that God would forgive you and release you from purgatory. There is no hope in that. The only hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ came, he made atonement, he finished the work that was done on Calvary so that we might have salvation. And then John writes later on, he says, these things you may know that you have eternal life. There's no possibility, there's no maybe, there's no well, maybe, possibly, if I do this, that, or the other. Brother Corey, I'm glad I don't have to stack myself up against you or anybody else. Jesus Christ already finished the work on the cross. This is why this sign is right here. Solus Christus, Christ alone. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel in verse 5 came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul believed what he preached. Not only did Paul believe what he preached, but he lived what he preached. You see, you can't be willing to go and spend time in the Mamertine prison in Rome or in any other prison that God chooses to place you, whether a literal one with bars or whatever it is that's going through in your life, if you think that God is only there for the good times and he's not also there sovereignly choosing to place you through the difficult times. But he says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Therefore, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Imitate me like I follow the Lord. Because, in verse 6, you, <coughs> excuse me, you received the word in much affliction. The Thessalonians, they, they, they were very poor people. They were like the church in Macedonia. Macedonia, they had absolutely nothing, and yet Paul tells us, and we have the testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that it was out of their deep poverty 
that they gave, not for the purposes of building up the church here, but for the sake of the gospel being spread around the world. This bucket that's up here, that's going to the pastors in another country, this is fruit not for Mark, this is fruit for the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is fruit that is given to and on your behalf so that others who are in a more dire predicament than you and I are might be able to have a little bit more. We have been blessed with so much here in this country. And Paul is telling these, Thessalonica, these, these believers in Thessalonica, he says, listen, you don't understand. Not only has the Lord not returned, but you get the privilege every day, not just on Sunday, every day you have the privilege of being able to be a testimony in faith and love and hope to a dying world. You became an example in verse 7. To who? All believers. All the believers in Macedonia. And then he goes and he shares the gospel again. And he says to them this, go back to verse 9. Your faith in God, firstly in verse 8, has gone everywhere. All of Asia Minor is talking about the church at Thessalonica. Brothers and sisters, there are many, many, many other brothers and sisters around the world who are celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ just like you and I are today. There are going to be millions around the world who are celebrating tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And by next Sunday, some of those believers, though, they're going to find themselves with a promotion. Some of those believers are going to find themselves standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of these troubles are all going to be gone. They're not going to worry about it anymore. They don't have to worry about it because their eyes were fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. For the joy that was set before him. And yet too often we want to find ourselves only rejoicing when things go our way. When things are going good. But he says, not only has your faith gone forth everywhere. We don't need to tell you about this, but we're just reminding you because it's a great testimony to have. For they themselves, who is he referring to here? He's talking about the other believers. He's talking about those who were in Macedonia and Achaia. The, 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 the word, I mean, they didn't have cell phones. I know that's hard to believe. But they didn't have cell phones or text or flock note or slack or whatever it was. The message had to be written on a scroll and this scroll is being sent to wherever it is that Paul is. And he's hearing this testimony and they're saying, have you heard about the Thessalonians? Have you heard what Jesus is doing in their midst? People are getting saved. People are being baptized. People's lives are being changed. Men are becoming godly men. Women are becoming godly women. Children are becoming godly children. 
Why was this possible? Very simply, look at the end of verse 9. Here's the reception that they had, or that they gave to the Apostle Paul when he comes into town and he preaches this strange new message to them. And the Holy Spirit begins to do a wonder and he begins to do a work in their heart. And some of those people realize, hey, wait a minute, some of the things that I've been doing, uh, I haven't just offended my wife or my husband or my children or my grandparents or my grandchildren or the people that I work with. I, I haven't offended them. I have offended God. But he says, you Turn to God from idols. Why? To serve the living and true God, not so that you could have easy street. Too often, too often we look at the Christian life and we think that's what it's going to be. There was a tract that came out years ago and there was some good theology in there, but there's also some bad theology that is in there. And there was a little saying that went around, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And then as soon as people said this little prayer and then things began to fall apart in their lives, guess what happened to those people? You couldn't find them with a search warrant. And that's the problem that we have within modern evangelicalism today. People, pastors standing in pulpits just like this, not telling you that to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you must and will endure hardness. How is it possible to turn from idols to serve the living and true God? Do you remember what happened with the, with the children of Israel? I mean, for, for goodness sake, the children of Israel, they had the presence of God right there. Cloud by day. Heller a fire by night. He parts the Red Sea for them. They walk across. The waters come back together. Drowns the Egyptian army. By the way, it wasn't just a couple of inches of water. Even if it was, it's still a miracle. I've never seen an army drown in two inches of water. But yet they're serving the living and true God and turn from the living and true God to idols. They can still see Egypt in the rearview mirror. But the Thessalonians, they know what it's like to serve idols. They know what it's like to get caught up in the cares and the concerns and the love for the world. And Paul says, your testimony is so strong that you serve the living and true God. Do you notice the word serve? see, that's what we all are, one of another, are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, here's the final verse again, to wait, to wait. There are many people who say, where's the promise of his coming? After all, since the fathers fell asleep, you remember the verse, since the fathers fell asleep, You've been saying all these things all along. You've been saying he's been he's going to come, he's going to come, he's going to come, and he's not come. But God says he is going to come. And one day when the time is right, the father will say to the son, go get your bride. And this one whom God the father raised from the dead, Jesus, he is going to come and gather all of us 
who have been delivered from the wrath to come. You see, there is good news and there is bad news. And there should be in every message. The bad news is that apart from God, you and I are separated from Him. That apart from God, that there is no hope. And if you remember the Challenger disaster, it was actually not proven for some four or five weeks after from my recollection that they actually didn't die in the explosion. It wasn't until their capsule hit the water. And those seven astronauts died on impact from the water. But there was no hope. There was no chance. All the armies, all the millions that NASA has, the billions that they have spent, there was absolutely zero that anybody could do to be able to save those seven astronauts. And the bad news is this morning that there is absolutely nothing that I can ever do or anybody else can ever do that can actually bring you salvation. There's nothing I could do. I, I would like nothing more like the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans. He says, I would to God that I would be a curse for my brethren so that they might be able to go to heaven and I'd be willing to go to hell on their behalf. We can't do that. Because the road to the cross is a single road and it is a narrow road and there are very few who will find their way on that road. The question is this morning, have you received the good news? You see, that's what euangelium is. That's what that Greek word is. It is the good news of the gospel. And the good news is Jesus Christ died, was buried, he rose again, and he's coming back again for everybody who has placed their faith in him alone. Now your testimony may be this morning, well, I've done this, I've done that, I signed the card, I joined the church, I give offerings, I do whatever it may be. God says, you could do all of that for a million years and it would never be good enough. The only way you're going to be able to get in it is by my rules. My rules say Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And if your faith and hope is in anything else this morning, again, as we have shared the gates of paradise have swung open and they are open for all who come. And Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out if you but call on God for him, for his mercy. Not trusting in anything else. You can join every church in the world. You can fill every position in the world. You can even be a pastor and still be lost. Some of those men that we're listening to on this podcast, men who rock the world, some of them were preaching in their pulpits for several years before they ever came to faith in Christ. Because what they did, they did out of duty. They didn't do because God had called them to serve in that capacity because they had hearts that were cold as stone. But if God saves you, he will give you new life. He will give you a brand new heart. He will change you. He won't take the outside and dust you off and pick you up like your parents maybe used to do when you were a little kid and you fell down and you skinned your knees and they brushed you off. Uh, just walk it off. You'll be fine. No. He takes a dead person, person who has no life whatsoever, and he makes them a 
a brand new creation. He sets his eternal love upon you and he says, you are mine. Oh, and by the way, just in case all the cares and the concerns and the wars and the, everything that's going on in the world and whatever maybe is that you already read on the internet or the news this morning, don't worry about all of that because one day soon I'm coming back for you if you're my child. That's the great hope of the gospel. And there is nothing else in this world that can offer that apart from in and through and by Jesus Christ. Stand together. Father, Maybe some of the folks here have sung that little hymn This is my father's world. I think that we need to, as believers, need to wake up and realize that this world truly hates us. And we do not seek this to gain any kind of pity or have some kind of pious or false humility, but because your word tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ himself said that we are not to be surprised if the world hate us because it hated him first. They put the Lord Jesus Christ to death on the cross. Help us to remember, to face the wonder that we serve a living God, a living and true God, a God who alone makes this world go round, a God who takes us day by day and keeps us in his care and a God who one day will return for his bride. And one day as the apostle John prayed, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, we too pray. We long for this world to be finished. We long for all of these things to pass away and to be able to be rejoicing in the presence of the Lamb to know that there is a new heaven and a new earth that is awaiting every true believer. But, oh Lord, for those who do not know you as Lord and Savior today, what a tragedy for them. What a service of justice will be given to them when they stand before you and they have to hear, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And yet it doesn't have to be that way. The word tells us that whoever calls upon you will be saved. It's a guaranteed promise that is given because of the work of the triune God. So we ask, Father, that if there are any who are either here today or who may be listening online or who will listen later, and if they have never placed their faith in you, we ask that today would be the day of salvation for them. Thank you for the time of fellowship that we'll be able to have and as each person goes home from here today, I pray that this message will resonate in their hearts, in their minds, not just today, but over the week ahead. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy of our praise. And all God's people said, Amen. If you would be 